Hello, everyone. This is your host, Manoj Tandon, with another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Brian Davis join us. Uh, Brian has a long, illustrious career in cybersecurity. He started off as a contractor with the U.S. Army and as a contractor at the U.S. Air Force as a system security analyst. And then from then on, he's gone on to uh, doing extensive work in managing risk in security compliance, business continuity and governance for SaaS providers, which is a hot topic in today's uh, environment with cyber. He is currently a security test manager for Adobe. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. How's it going today? It's going real good, real good. I, I got to ask you something. Even though you were a contractor at the Army and the Air Force, this is an old rivalry, right? Between the two, you always hear about it. These guys uh, go after each other. So do you have a preference? Is one actually better than the other? <laughs> wow. Um... I'm just curious. I, I, had to, I, I don't know okay. if you could follow college ball, but do you have a preference? <laughs> I can answer that part. No, I, I, I don't have a preference. <laughs> great, great, great. Well, hey, you know, um, give us a little bit about how you got into this crazy world of cyber. You know, what what's your background? I believe you you have a, a background in electrical engineering. Is that exactly? Yeah. So at one point, I, I used to um, work in the electrical field. And from there, I like kind of pivoted into uh, communications and low voltage work. Um, and then from there, um, I pivoted again into um, the tech industry. And um, I guess like my, my pivotal moment into security was when I started doing um, defense contracting work as a, uh, an analyst. Yeah. Um, you were kind of whatever your job title was second and like a security practitioner first. Um, I think at that time, that's when DOD 8570 came out and they had like uh, the minimum requirements uh, for a role and each role had to have like a specific certification. Um, so I was just, I guess overall, I was really fascinated with like the effort that went into like uh, securing these government environments and um, just kind of like, you know, kept the fascination and the curiosity going. And here I am now. So, you know, you mentioned pivot a couple times. And, and I'm curious, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to pivot. Is there a secret to pivoting? Sounds. How did you manage that to change from such diverse roles? Is there something you could advise us all on? that works? I, I guess for me, um, curiosity is what, what fueled my pivot. You know, in, in, in every role or, or, you know, every place you're at in life, um, there's always going to be uh, like something you're exposed to or you're, you're, you're taking on or responsible for that uh, may not necessarily be like what you signed up for. Um, you know, these things that get dumped on you, sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't like them. Um, in my particular case, some of the things that I inherited, I, I had a curiosity for, an interest for, and 
just kind of took it and ran. It's two ways you can deal with it. You can take it and leave it, or you can take it and run. And I, I just took it and ran. That's fantastic. That's a very positive outlook. And it also says a little bit about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So you, you don't always get what you want and you still have to deal with it. And I think that's, uh, that's good advice for anyone out there that's looking to pivot and maybe get into cyber or for that matter, get into any field. If you're listening out there, maybe you want to get into technology sales. Maybe you want to get into tech marketing. You know, I, I think it's a lot easier, um, than, than what people think there's, um, you know, the opportunities are out there. I think you just have to kind of like identify like where you fit in or how you can, um, play a part in that. And again, just like, uh, just take it and run. Um, opportunities don't always look like opportunities. So the hardest part is again, like identifying that this is an opportunity. You have the opportunity to, to take something and, craft that in the, uh, an expertise or something that you have to offer something that's available to everyone else. Yeah. I think, you know, there, uh, a big, uh, hang up that folks have told me that you get into and, and it's understandable is that when you're trying to make a pivot, a lot of times they're looking at a formulaic approach, like someone who wants to get into cyber, they look at the job, uh, postings and they're like five years in cybersecurity with uh, Security Plus, Network Plus, CISSP, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I'm just making this up, but they look at that and they get daunted by it. Um, and they're like, well, I, I don't know anything about this. I can't do it. Right. I, I wouldn't get so, I wouldn't get really hung up on that. You know, when, when, you know, just from personal experience, when you're, you're crafting uh, a JD, a job description, um, there's the tendency to kind of like make it into like your your Christmas wish list of like what you want, like out of the perfect candidate. And um, one of the things you have to be aware of is that it can uh, discourage a lot of qualified applicants from applying. Um, and I would I would tell anyone like if if regardless of what they're asking for, if you feel like um, you're capable, go ahead and and apply, like have that conversation. Um, be confident in yourself and who you are and your abilities and just have that conversation. And that will come across. I agree completely. That's, that's good advice for all you listening who might be thinking about making a career change. Uh, Brian, you know, you mentioned... Um, federal regulations and, and credentials that had come out. One of the credentials that you hold is a CISSP, right? And I guess the question I've always had, and it's, it's just through the industry, is that do you think that that credential, attaining that today, is more or less relevant relative to the other credentials that are available for the offering in our industry? What are your thoughts on that? I I still think is um I still think is relevant. And again, like going back to like 85, 70, uh like when that came out, like uh, there weren't like a lot of um certifications. 
there weren't like a lot of recognized certifications that you can get. Uh, and the CISSP was like considered like uh, the quote unquote gold standard. Right. Um, obviously, like there's a, a lot more now um, and they cover like a lot of good uh, like areas of expertise and, and, and different topics. Um, but like at the time, like like CISSP met the requirements for like all level three positions. So it was like I had three different roles and three different levels. So it was like nine different uh, positions back then. And sure, it's a lot more now. But like the only thing you had to remember was I think like the CISSP like covered all of them. You didn't have to worry about any. So it was like it, it kind of like made it a lot easier if you just did that and didn't have to worry about anything else. Um, and with the 8570, it was mandatory. So I just, I just pursued it, um, with the mindset, like if, if any of those opportunities came up, uh, I would be prepared and available. Um, so yeah, and 8570 still exists. So it, it, that being said, like the CSSP is still going to be a very valuable tool, but there's a, there's a lot more now that, um, that are included on that list. And there's a, there's a lot of them that get into different areas of focus. So I'd, I'd just say keep an open mindset when it comes to that. Yeah, and that's great to hear it from you uh, that that is in fact the case. Because a lot of times, again, I think a CISSP requires five years of industry experience before you can even really qualify to take the exam, if you will. But uh, there's so many other certifications and, and so many different other knowledge areas that keeping an open mind and hopefully employers are keeping an open mind uh, in that regards as well and and realize that a person um, is much more capable than what maybe some of those credentials might say you really have to dive into their backgrounds to understand there's um a lot of those uh a lot of certifications now have what i i think they call like an associate level uh, where you can go ahead and I believe it's like the same, same examination, um, just different qualification criteria. If you don't meet like the experience requirements, um, in my opinion, again, they, they demonstrate the same knowledge and ability. You just don't meet the experience requirement, which is just as good in my opinion. I, I, I feel like those, that's definitely like an avenue to pursue, uh, for those that don't have the time uh experience you can go ahead and look at those alternative options as far as like the associate level you know what? i i uh somehow missed that that's great to hear that's a little bit of uh, new knowledge that i learned today uh that's really similar to uh back in the day when i was a real engineer we used to have the professional engineering certification but before you could do that you had to be the engineer in training under an apprenticeship under a real professional engineer so uh if you got your EIT, that was that was okay, right? Until you could sit for your PE. But wow, that dates me a little bit. Anyhow, <laughs> the PE, I, I wow, I didn't know you had a background in uh in engineering. Yeah, uh, aerospace. Back when the Soviet Empire was a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know that didn't. They didn't have too much going on, but 
Uh, we could digress, man. That's rabbit hole. And and we, we should come back to that, you know, on state sponsored stuff because they're they're prime players in that space. But before we get to that, you know, if we look at cybersecurity, in your opinion, is this more about having a mindset or is it a skill? I'm I'm definitely gonna go with cybersecurity being a mindset. It's like a it's like a continuous, constantly evolving like cat and mouse game, right? So if like you get caught up in if you get caught up on like a particular skill, I think it's very easy to like get left behind. But like if you have like a defensive mindset or an adversarial mindset or both. Like I think the concept of security will all, I think it'll always make sense to you if you just have the mindset. How do you get that mindset into the mind of the decision makers? How do you get those folks to understand that reality? And I and I'll and I'll elaborate a little further because this is this is a kind of a pet peeve of mine, you know. Uh, in talking to hundreds of uh, organizations, one of the things that we still come across, or I come across personally, is that a lot of uh, folks look at cybersecurity as a technology problem with a technology solution. They're looking for the next greatest uh, silver bullet, whether that be the next firewall, the next PAM offering, the next DLP, whatever the case may be, they're looking for a technology to solve their problems. And it just occurs to me that that technology is, there's a lot of good technologies out there, but without the right strategy and mindset to put that technology in the field, it really may not be effective. So there's, there's, a, there's a couple parts to this, right? Please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a really loaded one. It is a loaded uh, one, but I, and I ask it intentionally because okay. I want someone with your caliber to answer this one, to guide us a little bit through. <laughs> so again, like, Cybersecurity, I think he spoke on like the, the technology part, like the technology yep. problem. Um, cybersecurity, in my opinion, is not a technology problem. We have technology solutions, but it's not a technology problem. And the technology solutions are only as good as how they're applied, right? Yep. So. You can throw a million technology solutions at a single problem. And if it's not the right application, if it's not the right use case, or if it's not configured correctly, or you don't even know what you're looking to, like what your objective is, it's not going to do anything. But the other part of that is like security isn't all high tech, right? So good majority of the problems you have are like a result of basic hygiene, such as like uh, secure coding, uh, social engineering, phishing, like 
in the end, it's people that are behind cybersecurity. Like these, the, the technology doesn't go out and attack you and the technology doesn't go out and protect you. It's the people behind the technology. It's the people that are the adversaries. Um, and it's the people that actually, you know, put the security controls in place and configure them. So it's not really a technology problem and solution. It is, in my opinion, a people problem and solution. Does that make sense? It makes a huge amount of sense. And I'm glad you said it and not me, because I've said it a thousand <laughs> times and nobody listens. They're like, no, we're going to, you know what? We're going to buy the latest AI-based platform and it's going to like really take care of everything. And But as you said, this is a people problem. It's a business problem. And the, uh, if, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like the other part of that, like, you know, at a certain point, somebody's justifying spending X amount of dollars to like implement uh, whatever solution it is, yep. right? Yeah. What is the justification? What data are you presenting? What problem will this solve? And how effective is it? And how do you know? How do you know that this is going to solve the problem? So now you've opened up a real can of worms. Now we're getting into compliance and risk. Oh yeah. Right. And assessment of it, which is which is exactly your cup of tea. So how do you assess it? Because so many times I, I can tell you there there's a whole bunch of categories of technology buyers out there. You probably know all of them. You got the folks that are working on, well, we just gotta we budgeted for a firewall refresh two years ago and we got the money, so we're going to go do it. And how that fits into, I'm just picking on them. I don't know why, but I just picked on them. Um, they're just going to do it. They're spending the money. It's money without a cause. It's just being spent because it's there. Uh, you have another group of people that is looking at it. Well, we've got this symptom, this symptom in our organization, and this AI ML-based thing is going to fix that, so we're going to go buy that. Uh, and then there's a third group that says, well, our industry wants compliance, <laughs> and we got to check these boxes. I don't care if it makes us secure or not. Just we got to check the boxes, so make sure the auditors are good with this. Buy whatever you need to fill the gaps. You know, th there's like, and then, you know, the fourth is just the science project crowd, but they really don't make up a big chunk of the budget. It's like those three categories a lot of people fall into. And what you said is the category that I'd love to have spending most of the money, which is looking at, okay, what is genuinely our risk now, given the fact that most of us are migrating to the cloud? What technologies that do we truly need? What risk can we accept? And how are we going to gauge its effectiveness? That's, um, this one is, uh, I think one that kind of gets, uh, skipped over a bit, right? Like, man, that's understated. <laughs> I, I, this, this is, this, this one really resonates with me. Um, <laughs> go ahead it's your floor <laughs> so so like with the risk assessment process it's 
it's it's turned into like a check the box exercise, right? It's oh, something yeah. that we have to do um, because we we have to show the auditor we 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 do risk assessments on our supply chain, right? So it's typically like uh, this one size fits all approach where uh, we look at an audit report, send them a questionnaire, and um, yeah, then we go ahead and proceed. Like the one size uh, fits all approach isn't is great for like you know let's just get this done, let's check the box, and go ahead and we buy it. But like, it's really a waste of time. Um, it, there, there, there's a lot of aspects you have to look at when you do a risk assessment, right? Like, obviously, like there's low risk use cases where you, you're, you're not going to scrutinize it much. But again, like, what is low risk? You have to define that, right? Yep. You have to look at uh, the product or service that you're you're using, right? Or you're, you are attempting to use or acquire. Um, then you got to look at like the contents uh that you're putting in there or that this this product or service will be using like your assets um that is what's going to like determine your level of scrutiny the other thing um i think you have to take in consideration is uh adversary intelligence right so That's you have really to know cool. your asset you have to know your use case like what are you doing with this uh to kind of find out what actual problems, what risk, what your adversary is. Like I, I've, I've had like these really wild uh, due diligence conversations um, where people were like presenting scenarios that were highly unlikely uh, considering the use case, right? Like, yep. you know, what happens if, you know, like somebody hacks in here and like steals all of our data? Well, um, considering like it's only used to house like uh, data that's already public anyway, like it's not really a big deal. Like th there's multiple factors, right? And if you just gloss over it again, like you're just touching it on the surface, like the one size fits all approach, um, it's not a really effective measure of risk. But once you, you, you've taken all the factors in consideration, again, like your use case, uh, what assets you're storing, uh, what your adversary is, um, and you've taken all that in consideration, then you can figure out like what, again, like what your risk tolerance is. Uh, you do have a threshold, don't you? What is what, what level of risk are you willing to accept? High, medium, or low? Otherwise, what, you know, we come up with an assessment, we've come up with a measurement, but we don't even know if it's acceptable or not because we don't know what our tolerance is. It's... Uh, <laughs> well, you you know, when you get to that, especially the tolerance one is a tough one. I, I found it very difficult to get uh, people who need to make those decisions to actually make those decisions because they are signing off on acceptability of a certain level of risk and something they're saying something could go wrong. And if it does, well, this is the best we could have done. Right. Which which is, in fact, a true statement. I mean, you reach a point of diminishing returns. I mean, how you can't lock down everything. You still got a business to run. <laughs> it, it, there's like 
it's that's the other thing. Like when you, you're you're doing these assessments, um, again, like you need a threshold because there is no such thing as one hundred percent security, right? Like Perfect. nothing is one hundred percent secure. So if if your threshold is one hundred percent, more than likely it's 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 an unrealistic threshold. Um, measuring measuring the security, measuring the risk, you have to make sure that they kind of align somewhere uh, in the middle of right where your threshold is. Um, you just have to be like realistic about it as well, too. You know, and this is such a dynamic environment. So when we look at other industries, we look at accounting, we look at medicine where there's standards of care, accounting has gap principles that everybody works by. Those industries relative to cybersecurity are fairly static. Things don't change on a weekly or monthly basis, right? Uh, whereas in our industry, the adversaries are quite intelligent. I mean, we're not dealing with a bunch of people that, you know, are buying guns and knocking over banks. I mean, that's not what they're doing. Uh, they're figuring out where your vulnerabilities lie and how they can exploit it and get away with it. Right. And that Absolutely. changes hour to hour, second to second. So in such an environment is compliance really kind of a false God in many respects. So like one of the things that you have to differentiate early on is what is compliance, right? What relationship does it have um, with security? Um, compliance is simply like the adherence uh, to a set of best practices that have been established, right? Compliance is adherence to your governance. Uh, security is your resilience to your adversaries. So on one end, like you're complying, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, the other end is you're showing that you're resilient. Like it's, it's like it's important to know the difference because you can be compliant and not secure and vice versa. You can be um, secure and not compliant. Um, an audit report is like the auditor's opinion of how well you met the objective and like security is measurable. So like, okay, say, you know, we have an agreement. I have to mow your lawn every week during the summer. Right. Okay. And like your neighbor verifies, like I actually did. I indeed mowed your lawn. Like every week we have a record of it. I edged it and trimmed it. You know, just like all the details, like uh, that were set out in the agreement. Right. I was compliant. Yeah. Like security is measurable. How well did I meet that objective? Um, like you can take weekly samples and say, out of like the 100 times I cut the grass, you checked 50 of them and I actually did cut it, but that's not a measurement. It's like, how about each time I cut your grass, I miss certain areas or I, I cause like uh, lawn damage from using like a huge tractor. Like I'm, I'm complying in the fact that I did everything I was supposed to do every week, like it was in the agreement, but 
Um, my lawn is diseased and less resilient. Right. Like it doesn't spell out how well of a job I did or whether I miss I made that threshold for the areas of lawn that I missed or anything else. So it's, it's compliance and, and, and security. Like you, you really have to understand the difference and not misconstrue them. I think that's a that's a fine needle you're threading there, and that's a but it's a really good one. I I, I love the explanation, uh, and equating you know compliance to resilience, they may not equate, and oftentimes they do not equate, and um, that's something that you you really have to put some thought into. I I I do think compliance you if you do resilience slash security right, you will land up in good compliance land because you will have put the practices in place that that need to be. But it's the dynamic nature that of the the field, if you will, or uh, the battlefield that we're in that makes compliance, you know, of limited, uh, you know, it, yes, you check the box, you, but will it work with today's adversary or what we know today? And that is, that's the million dollar question. And we see it come up time and time again in so many different news reports on who got breached. Like kind of what you said, right? Like being compliant can inherently make you more secure and being secure can inherently make you more supply, uh, compliant. Um, but you you what you need is both right like compliance isn't going anywhere security isn't going anywhere um they both serve like a unique and distinct purpose like one isn't there to kind of discredit or disprove like the other um but I, again like with you know securing something like a, a lot of that comes down to use case um a compliance report um isn't a really good measure of security. Um, what you need is a lot more information. You you need information such again, like what is what is your threshold for security? How are you measuring that? What metrics are you used to measure that? Um, that is how like you determine how secure something is versus uh, compliance, which you can again like be meeting all the objectives, but there's still opportunities uh, that exist for, you know, uh, adversaries to come in and, and, and do their thing. Absolutely. I, I get that. Have you, what kind of pushbacks do you get when you have this conversation in industry? Or do you not get much pushback at all? It's, I would say it's, it's, it's not much pushback. Um, corporate policy like dictates a lot of this, right? So like it, it, it dictates um, what your company needs from my company in, in order to effectuate a transaction. So and before we do business, um, there's usually some type of policy that states that they need like a compliance report um, a questionnaire and like maybe a few other things. Um, you can question that you can, you can raise the issue. You can, you know, point out the facts. Um, but ultimately it's, 
it's a bigger problem than um, just the people that are doing the risk assessment. Uh, and it's a bigger problem than the people that are, you know, um, effectuating compliance in their organiza organization. It's bigger than that. I, I think it goes up to a higher level of where um, there's kind of a misunderstanding on what constitutes uh, a risk assessment and what constitutes, um, you know, evaluating compliance in your third parties and what constitutes as a security assessment. Um, it's really easy to kind of blend them all into one um, and then get none of the benefits of either. Oh, that's really well said. <laughs> I, you, you often hear, in fact, um, those terms used interchangeably, and they're really not. You know, risk assessment is a very different animal from a vulnerability assessment. Right? Oh yeah, right. Which is a which is a very different animal from a vulnerability scan. Yes, which is different than a penetration test. And th there's, these are all differences. And yes, there are, there may be some overlaps, but by and large, I think uh, the synonymous use of these terms do cause a lot of co uh, confusion. And for those of you listening out there, what Brian said is correct. If you, if you do that, then you've merged and created something that gives you the, the benefit of nothing, essentially. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about risk quantification because you met, you, you said that security is measurable. What are we doing wrong with risk quantification? So Again, I, I, I think there's a, a misalignment here with risk quantification. Like, I, I think we're, we're confusing risk quantification uh, with due diligence, right? So when, when, for instance, we'll use like your, your third-party risk assessment, right? We call it a third-party risk assessment. We're assessing risk in our supply chain. So what do we do? Like, we... We, uh, we got like this templated uh, assessment approach, like this boilerplate approach where like we gather a few facts, uh, we identify like a, a few plausible threats, um, what the anticipated impact would be and, and take a guess on the likelihood, right? Um, identifying risk is not quantifying risk. Like the quantification part is still like some basic qualitative approach, which is subjective at best. Um, like there's major problems with that. Like it causes misalignment in like security objectives. Uh, you improperly like prioritize resources. Like, like, like for instance, what, what are the chances of like somebody stealing your car? Like there's lots of variables, right? Like where right. you park, the area you park it in, uh, like the car itself, like what is it a nice car? Is it a not so nice car? Like you can, you can go by like what the national averages are for car theft, right? Like the chances of your car getting stolen in the United States are are ten percent, but 
the national average can be a lot higher or a lot lower than your specific use case, right? So if you go by that national average, there's a good chance you can either overly secure the car or not secure the car enough. But if you if if you take in to, uh, take into account like all those other factors, uh, you can find out what the exact likelihood is. That is like that that is the difference between like the qualitative and the quantitative approach. Um, again, like the 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 qualitative approach, where we're, we're sitting here guessing like what the problem is or what's going to happen or how bad it's going to be um, is not really effective in my opinion. So how do we go about, you, you use third-party risk as an example, and that that's actually a really good one. And I think it's a very difficult one, actually. You know, how do you assess that? Because it is a template oftentimes, and, and you're gathering fundamental facts, but you don't know the mindset of your supplier. So you don't know what your exposure is because of their inadvertent enablement of certain use cases that you just don't have visibility to, right? I mean, Target, let, let, let's pick on them because they've been a poster child. Um, they were breached by an HVAC contractor. That's how the bad guys got in. Now, when you are assessing an HVAC guy, on the surface, you would think, you know, what are the chances? I mean, the guy services my air conditioning and my heating units. I mean, you know, what kind of risk does this really present, right? Yet, it caused one of the biggest breaches in retail history. That That is a, that is a difficult run, right? Because like... Like I, I can sit here and expound on that and in hindsight is like 2020. Sure. Um, but like, first of all, like we have to understand um, there's always risk in everything, right? Like there's, it's, it's a part of doing business. Um, it's not going anywhere. Um, the best you can do is like your, your due diligence and your due care um, and trying to identify and assess what your, you know, what your potential problems may be. Uh, but there's always going to be like one off like instances where like uh, I never saw that coming. Right. But like um, to the, you know, using Target as an example, like it goes back to physical security. Um, how we spoke about how you can be compliant and not physically secure or physically secure and not compliant and how you can be compliant and it will inherently make you uh, more secure. Um, physical security is is a large part of, of various different frameworks, right? It's, it's covered in detail, everything from uh, perimeter security, um, alerting, detection, um, all of those good things that come with physical security. Uh, we'll, would a, would a good physical security program have stopped this from happening? Um, you know, like with the escort model, or I'm, I'm not really privy to the details of how that went down. But um, would a lot of that have stopped that? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but 
in the event that they did have a physical security program in place um, and this did happen, again, that will fall on one of those one-off chances of, you know, you're, again, you're not going to be 100% secure. So if you're instantiating a third-party risk program in your company, and every company has vendors of various maturity levels that they do business with, how how would you, can you give us some guidelines on what you would say to people who are trying to do that now, what they should do, A, B, and C? So, like you're, you're, this will happen. You will have third parties um, at some point during your assessment where you just say, hey, this does not meet my defined criteria. Um, and that is the opportunity to put in like mitigating factors. Um, if you're having like an HVAC contractor do work in an area where they have access to something that can cause that level of damage, um, you don't have background checks, there should be an escort. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of mitigating factors. Like just because something scores as high risk doesn't mean like, okay, that's the end of it. Let's cut it, let's kill it, let's put it to bed. No, let's look at that. Let's find out what we can do, what we can implement to kind of mitigate this so that we can go ahead and continue with our objective of having our HVAC system service or whatever your objective is. Um, what you don't want to do is just say, you know, we're not going to think about it. We're not going to worry about it. We just, need, you know, we need air conditioning. It's hot outside. Let's just go ahead and do it. Um, that isn't the right approach. Um, again, it, there's there's a lot that you can do um, to bring something or to bridge something or to mitigate something to an appropriate level where you can implement it or use it in your environment. I, I think that's uh, that's really good advice, actually. You know, don't kill it just because it may appear to be high risk. Look at the flow, the workflow, essentially, and see if there's a way to manage that workflow that makes it acceptable to both parties to continue to meet the objectives that are that are out there. Never, um, you you. I guess the other part of the coin is um, you can't let the risk scare you from like your business objectives. Cause again, it's, it, you, you're, you're not going to run from it. You're not going to hide from it. Um, and you can't expect every uh, business partner or vendor or, or whatever situation uh, to be either risk-free or uh, risk-free up to your level of tolerance. Um, there will be situations where you're going to have to uh, think outside of your status quo box and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to actually do something in this particular case and implement some type of solution, uh, crutch, band-aid, whatever you want to call it, so that we can get from point A to our objective at point B. Now... There, um, with most companies moving to a SaaS model or moving to the cloud, digital transformation being our big part of there. When, when, like for example, if they're moving into Amazon Web Services, 
and using S3 buckets, whatnot they may be doing. How, how would you do that with, as a third party risk assessment? Or how would you look at that? Because that's, uh, there's this, first of all, there's a misconception that Amazon is doing all the security for this, which they're not, if you read the fine print there. And two, when you assess that risk, um, how do you do it? Because there's so many things that are maybe potentially not in your control that would traditionally have been in your control had it been in your data center. That That is... Um... I feel like that is that's like one where it doesn't really get attention for the fact that um, a lot of people feel like there's no alternative. Um, if you want the cloud, that's part of doing business in the cloud. Um, otherwise, stay on prem and you deal with uh, the limitations and the risk and the problems associated with sure. having an on prem environment. Um, AWS or, or, or any cloud provider, um, you know, I, I would approach that with the same way I would approach uh, risk analysis uh, and due diligence uh, for any other situation, product or engagement. Um, know your adversary, know your asset, like what the adversary is after, and know your potential outcomes and how bad they can be. Um, know what your other options are as far as mitigating factors or mitigating controls. Maybe a hybrid approach is best for you if you're really concerned about like AWS. Um, <clears throat> again, like don't don't feel like you um, don't have any options because like if you want cloud, um, you're just kind of stuck with um, whatever cloud providers are out there and whatever um, type of security or service they offer. Um, and be aware. Like if you grab, again, like compliance reports are great. Like if you grab like an AWS SOC report, you know, you can look at uh, the scope of, or, or AWS or anybody, the scope of the examination, um, what the inherent limitations are, um, and what, uh, as far as like on the security end of the spectrum, they're responsible for and what you will be responsible for. Um, they're good for that. Uh, just be really aware of what you're, you know, what you're putting yourself into and just make a deci uh, decide accordingly, move, move forward from there. But again, don't feel like, um, you don't have any mitigating options if it's not what you want. And, you know, I, I like the fact, you know, you're saying, go look at those SOC reports, use them as part of your due diligence, but maybe not necessarily use them to measure security, because once you have that framework of what they're doing, then you apply your own assessment against it as to what you perceive the risk to be and securing that risk. And that may not be uh, the same as what the audit report is showing necessarily. Yeah, they're, they're again, like it's, Knowing what they're, I, I, I guess, knowing the right tool for the right job, right? So, yeah, the SOC report would definitely be good for that, um, and good for a number of other a number of other things useful for making decisions. So, uh, Brian, we're uh, coming up here on the hour. I wanted to give you a couple minutes to 
plug anything that you'd like to. I don't, I don't know if you're going to be doing any talks, if your appearances, working with charities, anything you'd like to let our audience be aware of that uh, you would like to have their support on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, no upcoming appearances or talks or anything like that, but I'll, I'll continue, um, continue to do what we've been doing now. Um, also like look forward to seeing like, uh, a blog in the future with myself and, um, Ray Barchenner, who you met, uh, we we're, we're planning on having like more open discussions on like the various pain points and like, the the security space. And um, I'll also be speaking more about effective ways to measure security and uh, to make intelligent decisions based on like test information. Um, yeah, so that we, I have that and you can always find me on LinkedIn um, where we will be posting these conversations and having these discussions. Yeah, and, and let us know as some of those things become available. We'll be happy to post them out there and let everybody know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we appreciate the work that you're doing and appreciate you taking the time today to, to give us a little bit of knowledge. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Minaj. It was, uh, it was a pleasure and an honor for you to have me here and to sit down and, and, and speak with you. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, uh, as we head into the winter, stay warm and <laughs> we'll look forward to having you back possibly uh, as you get some of these things out there and, and uh, you can guide us on some of the tools you're developing or the methods that you're publishing out there. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be honored to. Sounds great. Well, take care, Brian. Likewise, you take care and have a good one. You too.